Hello, and welcome to the Podcast Studies Podcast. Long time no here, right, Dario? Hello, how are you? <laughs> hey, great to see you in your purple splendor there. I'm sorry, th- th- this is a very non-podcast thing to say, but the lorry just looks like she's fresh out of a Disney uh, movie. It's great to see you. Great to see you. <laughs> yeah, I kind of shocked my own self. Uh, so we're recording on Riverside, and of course we have face-to-face communication through our cameras, and I sort of laughed when my image came up on screen because I am head-to-toe purple, which I didn't mean to do, but here I am, so... <laughs> yes, I'm just screen showing it now. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> but it's nice to be back in this chair and chatting with you, Dario. It's been, it's been a while since we've done a Podcast Studies podcast, but it's not that our hearts and our heads haven't been in it. It's just a matter of sort of time and, and making it happen. So I'm glad we've we've made it happen. And we have lots to talk about, stuff to catch up on, obviously, because it's been a while since our last episode. Yeah. I mean, we were just sort of discussing off mic the academic labor that goes into podcasting when, you know, you're doing it DIY or independently. And, you know, there isn't a production team behind what, what you do, which is obviously the way that we are doing it. Wouldn't it be nice to have a production team? Of course it would. You know, any universities want to pay us to do a, do a podcast, that's fine. Um, you know, both of us are doing the same project in terms of the book, which is still ongoing. You know, we're going to wrestle that Leviathan to the ground Yes. at some point. Uh, Our co-edited book. What is it even called again, Dario? I think I may have forgotten at this point. <laughs> podcast studies. Practice into theory. Practice into theory, yes. So, um, so, yeah, we're still working on that. Sure. And our author's... Uh, we'll receive an email very soon about about that. Unfortunately, it's not an email to say <laughs> it's all done. It's an email to say there is a little bit more to do. So this is this is my first time venturing into the um, wonderful world of uh, academic book publishing, uh, and so it's it's been a, an eye opener for me in terms of the timelines and 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 how long it it does take. You know, by the time you get to peer review, they're saying, oh, there's all kinds of new publications that are very relevant here. It's like, I know, but we wrote this so long ago. <laughs> it's almost sort of two years ago when we started. Yeah. You know, and, and that sort of immediacy of the podcasting, that's why we love it because you can just mic up and get on with it. And, oh God, it's just excruciating the the rigmarole of the, the process of the book. I mean, it's like the writing and the reading of it is great, but, um, you know, that's the main reason really why we we haven't been recording this podcast for the for the last year. And I started a new job inconveniently at the same time. But I think, you know, we we recognize there's a lot of podcast studies research, more research than is contained in, say, the original kind of group that are part of our collective. You know, we've got a sort of Slack channel and we meet every every once in a while. But there is so many more disciplinary connections and people that are out there doing work that is either they name within podcast studies or is broadly connected to research on on podcasting and also the strand that just now uses podcasting to disseminate or to articulate research that is not necessarily focused on podcasting as a media form and there's a lot of people um, interested in doing in doing that so we want to sort of reclaim the podcast studies podcast as the producers of this of this show that we hope is a a sort of benchmark for for our discipline. Mm-hmm. Speaking of our discipline, where are you at, Dario, in terms of uh, podcast studies projects and and thinking lately? Yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm kind of in an interesting spot because with the new job, I've shaped it into a position where it's madness, but it's madness under my control. <laughs> and we've had a new head of research join Ravensbourne University, um, who is a very positive guy, which I'm quite happy about. I mean, one of the reasons I left my previous university, because I didn't feel there was an awful lot of support for my research. So it's given me kind of like further impetus and, and sort of motivation to to carve out time for, you know, moving forward. I'm really interested in the impact of AI on audio and audio recording. And I'll talk and maybe talk a little bit more about that in a second. I'm really interested in defining uh, podcasting as creative practice research to use that specific term as opposed to practice led or practice based or practice informed research and i think some of that stems from a question that i got in the talk that were that's coming up in a little bit as the main part of the uh, main part of the show in terms of how do podcast study scholars define what the kind of research is that they're doing if they're podcasters at the same time 
So I'm talking about that in a uh, seminar that's, uh, that's um, organized by Staffordshire University called Rebellious Research. So that that's happening in December. I'll, I'll put the link up on the show notes to that. And I also spoke to a guy just the other day called Robert O'Connor from uh, uh, the Southeast Technological University in Cork, in Ireland, obviously. And he's interested in doing a PhD on media technology and communication. So, you know, I think there's a lot, a lot to discuss. And, and obviously, you know, pe- podcasting is changing all the time. And I feel like I'm a little bit disassociated from what people are, are writing about right now. So, so as part of that research seminar that's coming up for me and as part of talking to other academics, I, I want to set a bit of time aside to read some of the more, you know, up-to-date pieces, which I haven't really done for a little while. Yeah, so cats out of the bag, we're admitting to to that here. Same here. And I do find that it's usually an event or, or, or you know, a project, uh, um, a publication you're working on that is the impetus for actually getting around to catching up on all that reading. Because ironically, it's something that falls by the wayside in the, you know, in the daily grind of things to do. Um, keeping up with that can sometimes be difficult. So hopefully we're helping in terms of, you know, being able to listen on your morning commute to this podcast and kind of get a sense of uh, where things are at. And just to say as well that we're really uh, keen to have more guests on. So if you are doing any academic research around podcasting or you've got a particular subject that you want to talk about, then get in touch. You can talk to, you know, either myself or Laurie We'll, we'll be keen to talk to you. But if you've got somebody else that you want to interview, um, any listeners out there who are in the podcast studies discipline, then please, you know, feel free to, to to get in touch and talk about that because we're very happy to put other interviews that are not necessarily conducted by us on the show. And we'll, we'll, we'll probably do a little uh, contextualization before and afterwards, you know, regarding regarding the interview. So yeah, just, just get in touch. You can, this sounds very pretentious, but you can, you know, can Google me or Laurie, and you'll see us uh, <laughs> online. But just be careful you don't you don't get the uh, Laurie Beckstead who lives in Utah and is um, into uh, barrel horse racing. <laughs> oh, okay. That's not me. But she sounds fascinating, though, Laurie. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right? I know. I know. Um, yeah, it would be really nice to have other voices contributing to this podcast so it's not just you and I bloviating each time, Dario. Know, for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, on this episode, this is quite exciting. So this is a podcast that you and I recorded at um, the podcast studies con- pre-conference that I co-organized along with John Sullivan, Kim Fox, Salil Sharon, and uh, Nicholas John. And this happened in May. And, uh, you know, when you emailed me and said, oh, I'd love for you to give a bit of a rundown of what happened at the conference, I thought, oh, gosh, could I remember it? But as soon as I pulled up the website, I got excited thinking about what happened at that conference. So it was meant to be a pre-conference to the um, ICA, the International Communications Association, which holds a ginormous uh, conference every year. Like we're talking thousands of people. To be honest, it's not the kind of conference that I particularly enjoy. Uh, but of course, then there's the opportunity to do satellite pre-conferences. So we set up a pre-conference through them. It was a two-day event held at Toronto Metropolitan University. Um, and one of the great things, we did a poll of everyone who was at the conference, whether they had come to go to the main ICA conference. And the majority of people who were at our pre-conference were not attending the ICA conference. So uh, it made me feel that, you know, podcast studies is at the stage where we can hold our our own conferences and, you know, we don't need a second attraction or anything like that, um, which is great. And the other thing that came out of this conference is how many new people are entering into this field. So there were a lot of grad students at this conference presenting their work, their fascinating work. I do remember one uh, young woman coming up to me towards the end of the conference, and and I won't tell you her name just because she she might be a little embarrassed about this, but but she actually had tears in her eyes, and she said, "I'm a little embarrassed that I'm that I'm crying, but I just feel like I have found my people. Like I was not sure uh, th- about the decision to to start a PhD and to do it in this area, but I've you know I found my people." The, the vibe at the conference was very, very supportive of each other, very friendly. 
Um, and I think that's uh, just kind of a wonderful outcome of this this nascent uh, area of study. Yeah, everyone I've talked to since the conference has just said it was uh, it was amazing and and really good. I was so really disappointed I couldn't be there, but again, this job kind of got in the way. However, by the miracle of uh, remote technology, that's what we're listening to today is uh, our conversation remotely across the ocean. Yeah. So just as a, a preface to that, you and I chatted about your chapter that you've written for our upcoming book. Um, and so is there anything else that you want to say about this before we just hand it over to ourselves? <laughs> yeah, we're going to hand over to ourselves. And, and just to say as well, there'll be much, much less of me through the, the rest of the season. <laughs> say. I just feel like it's just all about me today for some reason, you know, which is, uh, <laughs> is terrible. Because you were just, to be fair, you know, you were very good at, at setting up the, the the questions for me to just waffle on, really. Um, well, hopefully it was a little bit better than that. But um, yeah, and it's it's just this this work I'm doing right now on 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 sort of defining the the podcast space. And yeah, I don't want to talk about it, you know, before it actually comes up because you'll hear exactly what it's about, and there's plenty of it. So okay, well, let's just get to it then. Okay, so this is the session where we're doing a live recording of the Podcast Studies podcast. And this will be the largest ever audience or, you know, numbers of listeners that we've had for one one uh, episode. Isn't that right, Dario? For live, for sure. But I think uh, we've had uh, like over 500 downloads for a few episodes, you know, so uh, that's a good audience for an academic podcast, I think. Absolutely. Can I have a show of hands? And you can lie if you want to, but how many of you have listened to the podcast studies pod? Oh, you're such good liars. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> so what we're talking about today, does Dario Linares need any introduction? Dario, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Dario Linares. Um, I'm a podcast studies researcher, of, of course, erstwhile from film studies. Yeah. And uh, I, I you know, my continuing research is is looking at the same similar areas to a lot of you guys out there. I'm I'm sort of getting more and more interested into the way that podcast studies as a discipline is developing and kind of interrogating and analyzing the way that other researchers uh, do their research, and that comes out of the work that I've done on the podcast studies podcast as well. You know, it underpins the what we're going to talk about with regards to the new book that's coming out that Laurie and I have edited in terms of the way in which the doing of podcasting has actually influenced the way that we use theory, which kind of is the subject of, of the chapter in a broad sense, but we'll talk obviously specifically about what it's going to be about very soon. And are you experiencing FOMO right now being in London and not here with us in Toronto? Yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry. I can't, I can't be there. Um, this was a call by my superior, you know, exam board strip spreadsheets don't write themselves, I'm afraid. Um, but it is great to be here in, in virtual form and indeed recording remotely and live in a university space and in the space of my back room ties into the theme of the podcast, doesn't it, Laurie? Yeah, indeed. We're talking about podcast space today. If you've written about podcasting or you podcast, think about how you think of the podcast space or the spaces you're in to podcast or, you know, in a more theoretical way or a physical way, podcast spaces. So this is uh, something that Dario has written a chapter for in the book that has been mentioned Dario and I are editing a book. Uh, it is undergoing peer review right now. Maybe it's somebody here in this room. Several people might be reading it right now. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, and the title of the book is Podcast Studies, Practice into Theory. And that's a reversal of the usual sort of textbook style theory into practice. And it's a recognition of the fact that as a young medium, which scholars embraced very early on, that many, many scholars are also podcasters and have been since the get-go. Uh, and so we're looking at how does that praxis help us to develop an understanding of the field of podcast studies. So um, there's several contributors to that book here in this room. We've written chapters. Uh, thank you so much. But Dario's chapter specifically uh, is is looking at, at space. Um, so 
let's talk about that. Why did you want to look into and and think about this this idea of what we call space in podcasting? Yeah, so I think this comes out of my increasing interest in the linguistic elements of media practice, which again comes from listening to and editing thousands of hours of podcasts and and that self-conscious experience that we all have about listening to our own voice. And it's not just the sound of my own voice that I find annoying, um, but it's it's that sense of when you're reading a transcript of the thing that you've said and all of the idiosyncrasies and the little breaks and mistakes, quote unquote, that, that are in there and the use of the liberal use of connotation and denotation and how things don't sit on the page as they would do as if you'd written them in a journal article. So that that notion of how we articulate um, ourselves. And that, that sort of spilled over into how we deploy and apply terminology, particularly in academic podcasts and also in podcast studies research more broadly. And, you know, in, po- in podcast studies and this conference and the work that, that we're all doing, to some degree, still goes back to the question of what is a podcast, I suppose. And I've gone even more pedantic because I I began to notice the use in my own work, but also more or less in everybody else's of the term space. Sometimes people would would write the podcast space specifically, but other times they would just use the word space in a way that was often quite not not vague in in its application, but it but it was layered in terms of what it was trying to trying to connote in terms of the amalgamation between conceptual physical and practical ideas. So we're jumping between these things. And it occurred to me that this this use of space had been done historically, or this method of using it, this this application, was evident in research in media and cultural studies. The concept of space, what I'm saying, is had been used a lot. And so this related to some of the questions that were, were coming up in my mind with regards to academic podcasting and in podcasting from within academia. And again, you can think about that in spatial terms. Are we talking about actually recording within the university or recording with a certain mindset about what an academic podcast is and therefore the application of space in those in in, in those two ideas? So how are you applying this to um, integrate practice and the theory of podcasting? Um, so I, I started by looking at quotes in people's work, starting with, with my own, but then, you know, other people that many of whom are in this room right now and the, their application of space within podcast studies and what are the implications of what they're saying in terms of the use of, of, of space. So like interrogating some of my own previous writing in the book, the uh, digital media um, podcasting first book edited collection that, that I published um, with Richard and Neil. I referred to podcasting as a space for academic discourse. And then later on in the same chapter, I called it an idiosyncratic audio space. So even in those terms, I look at those things now and say, what do I actually mean when I'm saying space there? And then uh, Richard Berry's work, for example, in his 2015 piece that was a sort of reflection on podcast studies, he says, quote, podcasting has become a distribution route as well as a space for innovation and remediation, where content content can be shared with listeners in a way that, that linear transmission systems cannot facilitate. So in, in this short sentence, space is applied simultaneously to allude to a place and a cultural artistic movement within which creative work evokes newness or a transformation of forms and ideas. And later on in the same chapter, he, he talks about podcasting as a, a space of public dominion outside of regular regulatory framework. So again, it's used in a much more kind of polity sense then. And then if you read, you know, I, I use lots of examples in the chapter about the way that space is used in terms of the democratic space or the intimate space or a space between old and new media or a space between public and private, between real and virtual. Kim's work, Kim's piece with David Dowling, Kim Fox, David Dowling, Kyle Miller in their great piece, A Curriculum for Blackness, for example, invoke a range of applications of space, linking the technological digital audio space with socio-cultural claims of a black discursive space. So this is on the one hand, part of a wider space of resistance and black social justice, excuse me. 
So here they're aligning the technological with the cultural and the political by using space as that that mechanism to do that. By the way, I'm not saying that any of this is wrong. You know, I don't want to turn the uh, the podcast fraternity against me in one grandiose statement of indignation. I'm 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 saying that the implication of layered designations is happening here. So there's an implicit amalgamation of a sense of objective presence of being in the world. And this is, um, like I say, kind of amalgamated with specific ad- actions and thought thought processes that derive from pod- podcasting, from the do- doing of podcasting. And I know I'm going on a monologue here, but just to finish, finish off the, this thought, every chapter in the book that's being published, every single one uses the term space and they layer it in this way. So for example, Hannah's uh, piece with Stacey and Catherine, Hannah McGregor, Stacey Copeland, and Catherine McLeod in their chapter, which is entitled, The Kitchen Table is Always Where We Are, they posits the space of the kitchen and the kitchen table as a locale as a material and symbolic site of feminist practice. Um, So the emphasis here is on the development and the use of the shaping of space as praxis through remaking and rethinking the politics of a physical environment and the embodiment within that environment. So if you think about all of the connotations of the kitchen and the relationship between the kitchen and and female subjectivity, let's say. And I link this to Donna Haraway's um, idea of contested situatedness, which I use in the piece as as a kind of reckoning with the sense of experience and being in space. But the main kind of theory I ground this on is Lefebvre, and his book, the, the Production of Space, which is quite an old text now, a sort of classical text. But I'm trying to get to the point where space is not an abstract notion of action, but aligned with podcasting as a specific way of manifesting space as the interaction between the material sense, so the physical idea of space, and again, the material, you can talk about the podcast artifact itself, but also the cognitive, cognitive practices and experience we have when we're making or listening to podcasts i hope that made some semblance of sense do we think it made some sense we're i'm getting nods i'm getting nods dario you're good and this is why i love podcasting with dario because he does all the work it's great (laughs) i don't think that's really true to be honest with you but (laughs) carry on (laughs) so one thing that comes to my mind is the notion even of safe space um do you address that concept and because i think that that can be used often in podcasting contexts um, you know, the, the non-gatekept space, the, uh, the more um, accessible, community-oriented, you know, thus perhaps safer? Yeah, it's, it's actually the first sort of allegory I used in the, in the chapter, the, the idea of, of the safe space, because we're using that, when we use that, we're implying various different things. You know, could we imply, are we implying a space of physical safety in a particular environment? Or are we implying, or and or are we implying a space of safety for certain kinds of thought and certain kinds of speech, right? Or, and in some ways that you can break that down even further. So you could say, am I safe to say and think what I want to say and think without interrogation? You know, without being without violence being caused to me because I'm saying and thinking those things. Or is this a space where it's safe to interrogate? to actually question what somebody thinks. So safe space is kind of used in both of those uh, connotations, I think, in, in in many ways. And I think that the, you know, the idea of what the podcast space in in a grant in its broadest holistic sense represents is often used in the, in that way. And, you know, there there are but there are kind of problematics with that when you when you think of ecospheres. So an enclosed space where nobody is going to you know, undermine the thoughts that I, I want to have in that in in that sense. So it's it's again an interesting way in which space can be applied in 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 different veins depending on how you're articulating it. And you sort of mapped this out in a drawing, which I will bring up uh, shortly. But I just want to let everyone know that because this is a live recording of a podcast, we want to leverage all of the affordances of us being live, which means we're going to be asking you for your questions and your thoughts and your feedback on on Dario's uh, concepts here. Um, so let me just, uh, think I can download this here. Now, how do I find it? Documents. Here we go. Okay. So Dario, (laughs) we had a few O's. Okay. So you will need to walk us through this. Maybe just 
let's just give everyone just a moment. I know this isn't very podcasty, but we'll take a, a minute just so that you can read through it without us saying anything, because that might be helpful. Yeah, this is podcast gold going on right now. We'll have to put this up on the show notes when we tip, when we put the uh, the show out. Um, yeah, we'll do a bit of it. Oh, just to say, while while people are are just look, digesting that, that we are intending to do more episodes of the podcast studies podcast because we have been on hiatus for a little while. So if anybody has burgeoning research that they want to discuss with anyone, like either myself or Laurie or somebody else, for example, then then please get in touch because we'd be happy to uh, have new episodes uh, on in the foreseeable future. So again, I'll just mention that this is uh, part of uh, um, the first chapter in the edited volume, which is being published by Wilfrid Laurier University Press. Hello, another mention of Siobhan McMenemy there. Thank you, Siobhan, for your guidance on that. Uh, So we're looking forward to that coming out, I hope, next year, 2024. Does that sound reasonable, Siobhan? Do we think (laughs) it depends on peer review? If you're peer reviewing, please do it quickly. No. All right. So, Dario, please walk us through what we're seeing on screen here. Yeah. Please take this as a kind of draft thought experiment in my coming out of my mind to try to uh, encapsulate in you know in a in a in a visual sense what I think is going on particularly and this this relates in my head to the kind of academic podcasting that, that I'm doing right so I'm writing about it in that that way and I think some of these things can be interchanged with the way that people in the room might do podcasting which is which is different you know we all do it um, differently even though there are commonalities so if you look at the the outer rings I would suggest that these are all these are all elements that have to be there for it to be called a podcast. Okay. Now, the, and, but there can be, you know, the differences between individuals and the way that the way that, that people actually organize their podcast. But some form of this has to take place. You have to have an element of one of these one of these rings for for uh, this to be designated or to be understood as a podcast. So the four of them are conceptual, physical, technological, and organizational. So blue ring you can think there about the broader sense of what you are interested in when you are doing your podcast okay what it's about what are your motivations for for doing it how is it underpinned by our ideas that you're concerned with and i didn't want to go so far as to put things like genre or form because i think you know they, they can tie us down a little bit too much but those sort of broader concepts about what the podcast is and why you are doing it then on the top right, we have the, the physical spaces. Now, again, this could be physical or in brackets, virtual spaces these days. But in a sense, you know, even if you're virtual, you're still physical. And again, you know, we, we, we record in, in, in so many different ways these days. And they all, they all can have different connotations in terms of how we understand different types of podcasting. So say, for example, now we're, we're, reco- uh, we're recording here on a virtual space but I'm in the space of my flat and you guys are all in the space of the university. So these physical and virtual spaces are all amalgamating together to produce the live moment of recording that that is taking place. So we always have to have some kind of ontological uh, presence in space in order for a, a podcast to take place. That's until, you know, all the AI machines take over, of course. Then we have the the technological element. So again, pretty important. Now, again, you could have arguments about what is absolutely crucial to making a podcast. Lots of people have written about the idea that the RSS feed needs to be there. That is the absolute fundamental technological notion of what a, a podcast is, is reliant on that. Other people will say now, well, we've moved on to, into more into the streaming era though. So RSS is not as important as it used to be, but again, you know that's the, we don't have to get into that argument right right now. And um, uh, yeah, no, no, let's not do that. You can do that l- later on in an, in an, in another panel. So then, you, you know, we can argue about what kind of technologies are involved. So, say for example, does something have to go through iTunes to be, or, or what it, Apple Podcasts as it's called now? And we all have we all use different web hosting software. We all use different editing softwares, but there is a a framework of technologies that are required. And these, again, can be conceptualized as spaces that we work in when we're doing our, our editing. You can think about the idea of working in a particular kind of space. 
when we're when we're working with technology in 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 this sense. Um, and then on the bottom right, we have things like the all the paraphernalia, let's say, that go alongside the production and pre-production. So the, I've called it a pre-production here, but actually in the final draft, it's going to be called organizational. So all of these fields will differ not at all slightly or considerably, depending on the context of the podcast that you produce. But I would argue they all need to be there in some form. Then you get into the inner circle of the map, quote unquote, which defines the production and creative process that manifests um, a podcast into a certain kind of audio aesthetic artifact. So the sound, the form, the narrative, the design, the music, the voice, these are all the tools that a podcaster deploys in the creative labor of podcast make, making. And these are contextualized and interrelated with the with the um, the outer fields that I've just mentioned. Um, but then, of course, and this is the difficult, tricky part, you've got the, the, the idea that a podcast is only a podcast in the, in the act of listening, right? So you could do all of that stuff and put something online, and if you've got zero audience, zero downloads, is it really a podcast, right? So I realize there's, some, there's a little bit of an allusion to, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, has anybody heard it kind of thing? So I tried to kind of amalgamate that in terms of the listening interface. So we all use some kind of interface to listen to podcasts, whether it's on a, you know, a laptop or a desktop, or usually now on our phones or previously on an iPod, right? And then we're also always in space when we're listening. You know, lots of people have written about the space of uh, being in transit or being in the car or being, being at home with your earphones on, right? So there's a interrelationship between the physical and the cognitive in terms of the listening practice as well. So I would argue then that at our fundamental level, the podcast space, if we're calling something a podcast space, all of these holistic elements have come together in the moment in which it's listened to. This is where the, the, the sort of two-dimensionality of this map falls down, because I think you have to put the the element of time into this at some point right and that's the next phase i think that i'll i'll be looking to to work on but then with these other these other four elements with the arrows going out where i say knowledge production knowledge dissemination academic selfhood specific outputs these are the things as an academic podcaster i think that that come out of the other end of me producing a podcast then having it listened to and the the next phases of that of what it actually means to to put academic podcasts out in the world. So again, you know, I'm open to, to, to comments and questions on that, but this is me trying to trying to kind of visually understand what it is that I think I'm doing when I'm producing podcasts and all of the spatial elements are coming together to produce something that people have, people in podcast studies have called a podcast space, but having, actually having all of the layered elements together so you can see what we're all actually doing when we're when we're creating podcasts in a spatial sense. Dario, this is um, quite a work. Can you tell us a little bit more about the concept of academic selfhood as one of those quote-unquote outputs from the podcast space? What have you sort of come to learn about that? I suppose it, it goes back to something that we've tackled in the book, right in, in the introductory chapter, and that idea of what makes an academic podcast. What, what actually is it? Is it somebody who is an academic? who makes the podcast themselves. You know, what's the difference between that and say a journalistic podcast that has a, an academic on it? Then there is the question of the relationship between podcasting and academia in terms of things like labor. Why are academics motivated to make podcasts? Up until very recently, it's not a, it's not a task that the university is asking us to do. It's kind of a self-motivational thing or it was in my case anyway i know that things are changing now and there's lots of phd podcasts out there and people are get are getting funding to to make podcasts and what have you and then there is the question of what does it mean to be an academic podcaster in the spaces of the university so what was really interesting to me in in my sort of development as a podcaster and particularly a film podcaster so i come from a film studies background the idea of podcasting in a in a lecture theater as as you're all sitting there and how that is very different to say podcasting in a in in a cinema 
and then the idea of recording in in different environments in, in the sort of liminal spaces of my the rest of my academic job and then thinking about how my relationship to the articulation of theory has changed so when you come from a pure theory background and you're writing journal articles you know there's a very specific stylistic aspiration towards objective truth you know what i mean and 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 the the yeah exactly the depersonalization so suddenly when you become a, a podcaster and you realize that you cannot depersonalize yourself all of my foibles as a voice and as a embodied self uh, come across you know when you're podcasting or they come across more anyway um and but i think that that's not that that's nothing not something that we should shy away from and and further to that i think that there is i talk in the in the chapter about this idea of collaborative productive dialogue as a way to try to think about moving beyond the idea that the podcast academic podcasters are basically just talking to each other you know anybody can talk to each other that's really easy but why is talking on a podcast and releasing that podcast something that that is research something that is academic or scholarly right so thinking through the idea that we're doing something more than just chat casting um and sorry what did you call it dario collaborative collaborative productive dialogue another another wonderfully tricky off the tongue this is (laughs) this is what we do as academic is is come up with new terms for for talking right but i like it all right yes we do need for things like talking right yeah it's just giving it that that sense that it does go beyond just talking or trying to at least anyway sorry sorry to interrupt no not at all um so i think we'll open it up to the floor for questions but in order for dario to hear you you will have to actually come down to this computer and say hi and ask him so i'll invite anyone who would like to um comment or ask a question till come on down yeah come on down Okay. Hey, Hi there. Uh, my name's Till. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a um, graduate student from the University of Melbourne and I write about comedy chat casts. But I'm interested in how these concepts of space are bounded for you and what the accessibility is and whether you've thought about the role of like ideas of public and private and those boundaries in relation to this space. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are people who have written very specifically about the the, the bounded nature of public and private when it comes to, the, you know, calling the, the, out the differences of the spatialization of of podcasting. And I think that what's what's interesting about this is that I think that podcast studies people and me included in that would like to suggest that podcasting is different to other media because it is open and inclusive, but as many people have written there are limitations to that and uh, how much i think it's incumbent on us as podcast studies re- researchers to recognize when say for example some of the hierarchies of power and some of the say digital social and class-based boundaries that come from media or academia or social life in general how they are embedded into podcasting and hope that we are pointing to those and working towards in our own podcasting and our own research commenting on them critiquing them but then you know moving forward as podcasters and trying to make things as accessible accessible as possible in terms of in terms of the 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 public and private i mean again you know sorry to just sort of go back to somebody else's research i think that hannah and and catherine stacy's piece is really formative on on that idea that grounding your academic and scholarly analysis from within an arena that has historically been seen as private and therefore given connotations as being non-serious or not part of, you know, the the grand kind of academic canon of, of, of the public sphere and that kind of thing. I think that though that kind of work is is looking at, at, at changing that. Um, to sort of sum that up, I think that the idea of interrogating the space of public and private whoever is doing that and looking at the way that that, that podcasts uh, both allow us to traverse those two boundaries, but also maybe even ingrain those two boundaries is, you know, something that I think that, that podcast studies is is doing uh, quite a lot. Thank you for that question, Till. Anyone else? Come on down. I mean, we can have a little lineup for questions down here. Don't be shy. Do, 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 do. Here's Hannah McGregor. Hi, Daria. How's it going? Hey, Hannah. Good. How are you? Um, I'm great. 
Uh, I want to talk about the idea that academics have to be doing something more than talking to each other. Because I think the idea, I mean, I haven't read the piece that Stacey and Catherine and I wrote in a while, so I don't remember it that well. But I think the idea of the kitchen table in part articulates sort of an idea that the modes of knowledge production that emerge outside of academia have a kind of um, profound value. And that saying, like, what we're doing can't be just conversation or just talking. It has to be something else or something more. Doesn't that have a sort of logic of hierarchy in it that's like, well, anybody can talk, but we're special. When we talk, it's productive collaborative discourse or something. Like, how do we articulate a specificity in the knowledge production we do in the university without falling back on those hierarchies of whose knowledge counts more? Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. It's it's difficult, isn't it? But I mean, I, I suppose that it's very easy to fall back on the the kind of will to labor that we all have as, as academics. You know, I'm having this conversation in this space with this other academic and how can I make that somehow productive for me and my academic career and that and and that kind of thing? I think that it is it's a difficult question to answer because I don't know whether it's ever possible without if you're going to say, say, for example, I mean, I, I don't think anybody is saying, and I'm certainly not saying that there is no value in these conversations that don't have are not originated in the university and never had that intention to begin with, you know, and leaving leaving those at they are in that that sense or letting people speak for themselves in in say for example the kind of dialect or languages or argo or um conversational types of speech that maybe don't fit into the university i think you're you're right as soon as you sort of start to say well that actually means this and therefore it adds value is problematic i think one of the things that we've tried to do in the book is and we you, we sort of tried to do this in the editing process as well laurie is say that you can write this in the style that is, you know, appropriate to A, yourself, B, your own research and your and your own sense of critiquing that, again, that, that sort of drive to put everybody in a particular kind of way of speaking. And if that, if that makes some semblance of sense, I haven't got a, a kind of solid answer for that because I think that you're right. Whenever the university is the university, isn't it? It's, academia is, is is academia, and I think that there always is a sort of like, okay, how can we put that into that box, and therefore it becomes an output, and therefore it's now it's suddenly academic. That comes from me kind of being a little bit shirty about the fact that oh, I'm producing this amazing podcast, and you know, look at all this research work that's going into my podcast, and yet in the university, nobody nobody really. You know, p people have seen it as a gimmick up until very recently it has been my experience. So there is an element of, well, actually, this, me saying this is valuable, but then you have to put it into the criteria that in academia people see as valuable. And I don't think that's a good thing. I just think that that's, that's what tends to happen. You know? It's a conundrum and a, and a dilemma that we need to grapple with, don't we? Because there is, on the one hand, the idea that we podcast because because in many ways it flies in the face of the academy and its expectations. And on the other hand, we want the academy to recognize the damn work we're doing and the knowledge that it's producing. So it really is, I think this will be an ongoing um, uh, discussion for sure. That's a great question, Hannah. Thank you for that. Uh, Richard, I think you were next. And then Mia and then Sleel. And like, we can go beyond the first row here too. So yeah. All right, here comes Richard Berry with an equally tough question. Possibly not. Hi, Dario. Uh, it's kind of a related question, really, about the uh, kind of the section there on di on dissemination. How do you think that kind of plays into impact? And I'm thinking about the uh, the UK ref sort of interpretation of of impact of research in terms of we make research, we put research out into the world, and it has impact in policy or society. And I'm just wondering, wondering your thoughts on this and whether actually podcasting can be a vehicle, whether that's more people are hearing your ideas, so you can say, hey, look, I've downloaded my numbers from Apple Podcasts and I've got 2,000 listeners in, in 10 countries or whatever, or whether it's just a kind of it's actually about then reach, and then that might change how the Academy thinks about, about impact um, in terms of the research that we do. Yeah, again, it's, uh, it, 
it's an interesting one and we're kind of beholden. I mean, th those of you not in the, in the UK, we do have this behemoth called the REF, the Research Ex Exercise Framework, where all every single university gets its research measured. And then there's a leak table that, that comes out and says, oh, this university is wonderful because it's got all this research and it goes right down to you guys, your, your research, number 130 is terrible. So... You know, depending on your uh, what university you're in, everybody's under certain kinds of pressures to produce "quote unquote" world-leading research, right? And you know, just just as a story, the the University of Brighton, I had to rewrite uh, an impact case study, rewrite it six times because the the criteria changed so many times, and then it didn't get put in into the ref. So it was kind of like, what was all that? work for so again i don't i don't I, I think that this is a question that actually also relates to practice-based research in a broader sense not just po podcasting and that question of where is the research when you're doing something that is artistic or it doesn't sit into the boundaries very easily of say a book or a or a journal article i put in a bid for some money to come up with a a podcast hosting interface that was designed for academics but again you know, it didn't get funded. So I'm going to go back and revisit that. But it was what I was trying to do is is create something that was akin to Acast or Podbean or one of these hosting sites. But it had technology so you could timestamp uh, references as you went along and a host of other features I kind of uh, had in mind for, uh, for that. I think the question of impact with regards to um, visibility or wider political or, or social impacts again i'd like to think that the more people hear your research um through podcasting then the, there's more chance that 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 impact will will expand it comes down to another question of say for example how much time do we as academics have to say market and do pr and share stuff on social media i mean it's taken years i mean we've been doing podcasting for seven eight years now to build an audience where we get on the, the film podcast we get sort of between 1,500 and 2,000 down downloads per episode. You know, it's just over five 500 for the podcast studies po podcast. And that's a lot better than the downloads of my journal articles, that's for sure. But again, we're all we're all battling, you know, we all love creating podcasts and we all love talking on our podcasts. And, and you know, there's that question of how much of that is the research that we love doing and how much of it is the podcast about the research that, that we love doing. So we're all, we've all got all of these different, plates that we're spinning to try and do the podcasting and get it out there and you know make it recognizable within the university but then not do that as well because we don't want to you know we want to challenge the hierarchy so it's you know it's it, it's very difficult i think everybody everybody is working towards what they see as valuable in the doing and the making and, and the disseminating of the podcast thank you dario mia you're next oh got too many things hang on put that all down thank you very much Hello, Mia Lindgren, um, one of my professor at, at the University of Tasmania, Australia. And my question uh, follows on really from the conversation that you have just had um, with Richard and the rest of us, because I want to drill in a little bit further into these, the seminal question of what is research and what is the contribution to the field. So to give a bit of context, I chaired my university's uh, committee that looks at non-traditional research outputs. So that's uh, research that's done from uh, obviously media and communication to architecture design to fine art, etc. So we've uh, sometimes look at a poem, is this research? If so, is it a major research? Is it a minor? It's quite a, you know, it's a fascinating job to do. It's quite a complicated one to do. And the guiding question for this group is what, you know, first of all, is there a research question? Secondly, what is the contribution to the field? And this is the one I think we really need to be quite clear on. Working in academe doesn't mean to say that we're always doing research. We do really valuable work. We do impactful work. We do other things. But to be defined as research, we have to actually engage around those questions. What is the specific contribution to the discipline or the field in this case? Um, 
And I come back to the Australian Research Council's definition of what is research. Research is the creation of new knowledge and or the use of existing knowledge in new creative ways to generate new concepts, methodologies, inventions and understandings. So in light of all that, I'm I'm sounding like a proper academic. There's not even a question at the end of it. Here comes the question. (laughs) Talk to me or talk to us a bit about the difference between or what is it in your work that is research? What might be impact? What might be something else? All very important and useful. That's a tough crowd, Daryl. Oh, no, yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm going to give you my best shot, though. Well, I think in the development of podcast studies, I think that there, because it's a, it's a, you know, quote, unquote, a new medium, let's say, there are these parallel tracks on that question of what is the research of podcast studies. One of those tracks to me is the idea of what is the podcast. So that, and then you can do research into, say, for example, the technological development of, podcasting as a medium then you could do research into podcast audiences for example you know all of these different rafts of what has the um, the emergence of this medium how do we understand that in a research sense and that can have you know a technological basis it can have a social basis kind of a media industries basis all of those kinds of things can be the thing that you're researching then there is the question of what does podcasting allow us to do in the dissemination of other types of research? So in that sense, podcasting is just a platform it, or it's just a delivery mechanism for somebody else's research, right? So, you know, th- in that sense, the podcast studies part of it is not the research. You might do a podcast on somebody who's a scientist who's, I don't know, you know, uh, or somebody who's, who's researching AI or whatever. And then you're having a conversation and they're relaying their research, okay? Now, again, there are, in my sort of experience, and it, and it goes, it, it speaks a little bit back to the book. In the doing of the podcast, it's made me rethink my idea of what is, say, for example, theoretical research, because it's made me think about the idea of being in a room with another person discussing, say, film, and we have a, you know, maybe we've both watched a film and we have a backward and forth and a discussion about what this film means, what that, what this film does, how it sits into the larger context of this particular genre or this particular filmmaker's work. And on the back of those conversations, then maybe some form of new articulation of knowledge has taken place, which may be very different or is another form of analysis let's say from me not having that conversation and just watching the film by myself writing notes and then writing my my film analysis by myself right so i think that there are many many different elements of what we could consider research in podcast studies as research and and i'm quite prepared say for example to say you know, that, that we can set up a criteria like the, the the AHRC one there, where there is what is the research question and what are, what you know, what are the what are the impacts, what is the research for? All of those kinds of questions. But I think it's it's interesting there where you're talking about something like a poem or a painting. I think in podcast studies we're going through a phase of what is a podcast as that research is expanding and growing, whereas something like poetry and 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 painting i don't i mean maybe there's poets and painters in the rooms who would say well yeah in those types of practice-based research they are grounded still on the question of what is a poem and what is a painting you know because that seems to be something that we're all that podcast studies is or has been interested in as as the the field has developed and, and continues to to develop um i realize that 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 probably hasn't ended that question thankfully it, it won't have done but um that's my best stab at, at that one. By the way, Dario, we did determine earlier this morning, we managed to establish that podcasting is not radio. I think we did that, right? Like we crossed okay. that off the list, right? <laughs> well, good. Nobody can ask me about that, that whole chestnut. <laughs> that old chestnut, in, indeed. Salil, we have time for one more question. Do you want to? So, hi, Dario. What's up? 
Hey, Stuart. Um, How are you? Uh, I'm good. Thank you. This is an amazing audience and everything is so exciting. Uh, can you tell more about the notion of space in relation to sound as a special as a spatial phenomenon um, is something that is one moment exists and the last the other minute is gone and could you perhaps share your thought about using utilizing the sonic space in our academic work and if you can somehow characterize the experience of listening to academic knowledge formed in comparison to reading it okay Yep. In terms of creating the sonic space, I think this is where podcast studies can learn from from sound studies or, you know, the interdisciplinary collaboration between the two. I think is you know, you're starting to see more and more. And certainly in, in, in particular episodes that, that I've edited of the film-based podcast, I've tried to create a particular kind of sonic experience where headphones that you are immersed into a kind of conscious experience that is triggered by the sound design the sound environment that has been created you know and a lot of people have got a huge amount of experience of of doing that you know sound designers and editors and i'm just kind of at, at the starting point of that and it's kind of actually kind of exciting to be able to do that in relationship to the to film podcasting because using sort of uh clips and music and sound design from films and amalgamating in, in with the conversation and with the analysis that I'm doing on on the podcast creates a, a particular kind of immersive experience, which I think is really enjoyable and satisfying to listeners. And I suppose it, it, it speaks a little bit, I think, to the last point in terms of the relationship between form and content. You know, we talk about the idea of voice And that can be related to, you know, we, we, we can talk about that in relation to a, a text. You know, people have a writing style of voice in their writing. And it's obvious that we say that when it comes to the way that people will speak. And, you know, it's like academic conferences. Why do we bother with academic conferences? We, because we want to hear the person discuss their research and, and pull apart the things that they've been writing about that we've read on the paper. I mean, this is one of the things that, that, really sort of triggered a big change when I go to academic conferences now. You know, I used to be very much somebody who had my notes and, you know, read out my script and stuff like that. And I just don't do that anymore because I, I want to forgive myself all of, the, all of the mistakes that I will make in the delivery because the human being is, is coming out. And actually, in terms of the articulation, you can often get more of an understanding when you, when you are articulating your work in in that way and then somebody can go and read the paper later on that's totally you know that's totally fine um yeah listening instead of reading yeah that's a really interesting point um one of the things i've done at the at the university is uh last year i read and recorded all of the readings on what the modules that that i did so that they you know i couldn't then anymore get a student say oh well i never read the text right all of them were available to download as audio files and they could listen on the way in now again i might be considered philistine here but i think that we're living in a world where you especially as as, as tutors as teachers we have to go where the students are we can't rely on them to read academic tech in the way that, that was assumed to happen in the past and again you know part of me wants to say really we can't do that anymore but i think Anything that works to engage um, students and engage people in the work that you're doing, we should be able to use those tools. And I think that podcasting and listening to research, you know, in an audio format is, is, is absolutely fantastic. I mean, we could have arguments about, and there's research work done on this, how much you actually take in an understanding or to take in the, the full breadth of, of, of what a text is saying. You know when you listen to it or when you when you read it i mean i've got students we use like like the otter eye app because it actually highlights the text as you go along so you can have it in your ears and you can read as you go along and, and obviously um lots of people have different uh uh learning I don't want to say disabilities or different learning abilities let's say and i think it's uh you know that's a great advantage if you could say to somebody okay you can hear it in your ears and you can read it on the on the screen as you go along What's wrong with that? I think the hierarchies of saying the journal article and the text above sound, I think that, again, is something that as a podcast studies scholar, I want to challenge. Amazing. 
Thank you, Dario. We're going to break for lunch now, but um, round of applause for Dario Linares. Thank you. Thanks very much. And thanks for inviting me, even though I couldn't uh, make it. I really uh, appreciate it. Yeah, we miss you. We're sorry you're not here, but thanks a lot for joining us today. No problem. Take care. Have a good conference, everyone. Mm-hmm.